0: And you can get an extra three months free. ExpressVPN.com slash slash film.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Friday, June 19th, 2020. On today's episode, we're going to discuss the latest film and TV news. This is Slash Film Editor-in-Chief Peter Serrata. And joining me on today's podcast is Slash Film Weekend Editor, Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. And Senior Writer, Ben Pearson.
2: Hey, what's
0: going on?
1: Okay, so a bunch has happened since earlier in the week when we covered news. Uh, you know, Let's start off with the Academy Awards, which is being pushed back. Brad, what do we know?
2: So obviously, uh, a lot of things are messed up with the Hollywood release calendar due to the coronavirus pandemic pushing back movies months, even into uh, 2021, and that's going to wreak havoc on award season, uh, which usually begins sometime around September, October. Movies that are trying to vie for awards attention get released around that time and campaign uh, into early next year before the Academy Awards happen uh, around February. But now the uh, normal eligibility window for movies to qualify for the Academy Awards has been expanded, thus delaying when we'll actually have the ceremony. So the ceremony itself has now been pushed back to april 25th 2021 uh, it was originally scheduled for february 28th 2021 and that's when the new eligibility window will be extended to so now any movies released between january 1st of this year through february 28th of next year will qualify uh, for potentially being nominated for an academy award um, the submission deadline uh is a little bit earlier um it's january 15th 2021 um, but as long as a movie has a, uh, a qualifying release date before February 28th and um, and meets that submission deadline, then it will qualify for the Academy Awards. And this is uh, interesting because it kind of changes um, how certain festivals can be used uh, to promote movies. Typically, the festivals that get the first glimpse uh, at possible awards contenders uh, are predominantly telluride and the toronto international film festival um some play at Cannes and venice but those are the two that are are close enough to the fall award season uh run that you'll see a lot of first screenings happen at those those two festivals but now with the window pushback we could possibly see some awards contenders uh making a debut at sundance which is happening or at least currently scheduled to happen on January twenty first of twenty twenty one. So as long as those movies have a theatrical release that is scheduled before February twenty eighth, those movies could premiere at Sundance uh, and get some some campaign buzz going uh, heading into um, the voting period.
1: But they would also have to premiere at Sundance and then be released before what the end of February.
2: Yeah, so they, they've got about a month, and like that's not out of the ordinary. There are some movies that you know play Telluride and TIFF that you know, arrive in theaters a month later, but but they're also scheduled further out in advance. So that could easily still happen here. It's not something that happens abundantly, but it's but it does give Sundance make Sundance a little bit more of an awards hotspot.
1: This is so weird. How is this gonna affect the Oscars the year after this? Will that Oscars only be for uh, what, three fourths of a year?
2: Well, it's, I mean, they're only losing two months because the the window ends February 28th. So there's still a whole 10-month period there. And when you think about it, it's not as if there are really any awards contenders that get released in January and February normally Mm -hmm. anyway. Like, you know, the the most uh, famous example is probably uh, Science of the Lambs and Get Out are two... Movies that were released very early in the year and ended up getting awards love when it came time uh, late in the same year and even early into the next year. So, it's not as if that window is prime for awards releases in theaters.
1: Yeah, this is gonna be interesting. I, I almost wish they just had consolidated this into a two-year Academy Award uh, ceremony, but uh, we'll see. It'll be interesting to see how this changes things because you know with theaters opening up or like award films even going to be showing by february we don't we don't know uh you know let's talk about that a little bit let's talk about amc theaters they have announced that they are reopening and and well let's back up for a second uh you know we've talked on this podcast about how amc is kind of in trouble uh, they they need to reopen soon or you know this chain which is the biggest chain in the movie theater chain in the united states could possibly go out of business uh notably chris nolan has been pushing for his film tenant which is being released by warner brothers to be released this summer in july Uh, that got pushed back a little bit to the end of july uh warner brothers i think doesn't even want it to come out this summer because they don't think people are going to be wanting to go to theaters, but I think no one who values the theatrical experience uh, doesn't want to see, you know, the biggest theater chain in the United States go out of business because this could mean the beginning of the end of the theatrical experience. Uh, and So I, I'm, I'm just recapping all this because I think there's a lot more at, at stake here than, uh, you know, movie theaters reopening and people during a pandemic being able to see a movie on the big screen uh that said amc has announced that they are reopening and have released their policies uh one of which has kind of gotten some uh backlash uh Ben, tell us about it.
0: Yeah, so uh, AMC announced that they have plans to reopen most of its venues by mid-July. Um, I think the numbers are uh, they have more than 600 venues in the U.S. and uh, 450 of those are going to be open on July 15th and they're going to be almost fully operational by the time uh, Mulan comes out on July 24th and Tenet comes out on July 31st. But the uh, just to sort of take us through the timeline of events here. Um, The CEO of AMC Theatres, Adam Aaron, said in a statement to Variety last night uh, that they would not be mandating... Matt that people wear masks when they visit AMC theaters in the U S. So he said, we did not want to be drawn into a political controversy. We thought it might be counterproductive if we forced mask wearing on those people who believe strongly that it is not necessary. We (laughs) think that the vast majority of AMC guests will be wearing masks. When I go to an AMC feature, I will certainly be wearing a mask and leading by example. So um, as you can probably guess that caused quite a firestorm and a, a huge backlash because Um, I think the best response that I saw to this was, um, somebody on Twitter said, uh, AMC theaters, do you let people smoke in your theaters if they believe strongly that it's okay? No, (laughs) why not? Because secondhand smoke threatens the health of other customers, right? Well, guess what? Two hours of exposure to COVID droplets in an enclosed space will do. So that, that's pretty much sums up, I think a lot of the, um, the response and the outrage in, in, uh you know, in, in response to that, uh, that statement there.
1: Well, I think the way he handled this was really badly, uh, positioning this as a political statement, mass as a political statement. It's, it, it's science. It's not politics. And, uh, I don't know that, that seemed really bad. I feel like, <laughs> I, I know this wasn't in their official statement. This was like in an interview to variety, I think. Right. I think that's right. He yeah. said that. Yeah. Uh, in the official statement, I think it was handled a little bit better. Uh, but it, This got a lot of outrage online, and I was kind of shocked, not at the outrage. uh, I was shocked that people didn't expect this because I, I don't know. I I always assumed that if the movie theaters were going to reopen that, uh, you know, movie theaters, they, you know, when a movie comes out in the first week, I think like the, the movie studio makes like upwards to like 70% of the ticket revenue. So basically, the, the movie theaters survive by selling concessions, drinks, and candy, and popcorn, and all that stuff. So, for them to actually break even or make make money during this pandemic, they need to sell concessions and to serve concessions to moviegoers. Those moviegoers can't consume concessions with masks on. So, I I was I, I was a little surprised that so many people did not expect movie theaters to kind of take this.
0: Stance. My guess is that people understand the realities of how people act in theaters, but it, you know, when the CEO of the biggest theater chain in America (laughs) says you don't have to wear masks to come in, like I, I think the the expectation that a lot of people had was. Tell people that they have to wear masks. And then, yes, of course, when people are eating and drinking, they're not going to because that's impossible. But like at least force people to wear them when you're, you know, in the lobby and interacting with the people who work there and all of that, you know, just walking to the bathroom like there are so you know, this is we're living in dangerous times. And for people to just be blase about it, um, I think that's where a lot of the backlash came from.
1: Were you guys considering going to the movie theater? Like, say Tenant does come out at the end of July were you guys going to go to an AMC theater before hearing that they were not going to have masks?
0: No. No. (laughs) I I don't expect that I'm going to be going to a theater again for the remainder of 2020, probably. Um, But that, I, I, you know, that could change uh, if, if the science backs it up and and if we just somehow dramatically improve in this country, but the way that we're heading right now, (laughs) it it doesn't seem like we're heading that way. So I I don't suspect that I'm going to be, stepping inside of a movie theater for a good while yeah the only Uh, only way
2: i would feel comfortable about it is if there was a way for me to guarantee that the the screening in question was very sparsely attended um because i I, can't
1: can't can't you see pre-sale tickets like
2: unfortunately my theater does not have reserved seating so there is no there's no way for me the, the nearest amc theater for me to be able to see how much of a theater is sold until I actually get there, so there yeah,
0: are- and and with the um, Regal Cinemas recently, like a few days ago, I wrote up uh, you know some of their um, protocols and stuff that they're doing, and they they also said like uh, yeah, we have online uh, seating choices and, and reserve seating and stuff for in some of our locations. In the other locations, we're just going to ask people to stay, you know, two seats away from other people Uh, or something. And like, there's no way they're going to be able to actively enforce that in any sort of significant way. So I feel like the same might be true of AMC theaters in in locations like what Brad's talking about, where they don't have uh, reserve seating ahead ahead of time.
1: Why can't they just put like seat coverings over like randomly throughout the auditorium? Like Uh leave like spaces of two to four you know, I, I guess I would force you if you're a party of four and like it might force your hand of where you're sitting. I don't know. Yeah. But uh, I'm not sure if I've said this on the podcast in the past, but I live near an AMC theater. Uh, it's not a big multiplex, but it has a few screens. And I I, I think I'm in the lucky, oppor- uh, the fortunate opportunity to have, you know, have reserved seating and I could get there within 10 minutes. So I like if, if they're showing tenant in all, all of their auditoriums. And I could look online, you know, uh, 20 or 30 minutes before the screening and see that there's only like one or two people in there. I might I might do that, but I, I know not everybody has that uh, opportunity. Uh, OK, the uh, so, so you mentioned that there is backlash and then uh, Almo Draft House came out with a statement.
0: Yeah. So uh, before uh, AMC took their next step, Alamo Drafthouse said, uh, more to come, let's talk next week. And they they released a statement online that said, when we open, the safety of our teammates and guests cannot be compromised. This is not political. We will require that guests wear masks at the theater, except when eating and drinking. Those without masks will be given one. So that was Alamo's move. Peter, I think you, you were looking at this almost as like a like little more than a pr move but i think this is this is kind of what i think people were hoping that amc would say like you know like i mentioned like understanding that masks are gonna have to be taken off when eating and drinking and and alamo draft house obviously is a place where people do a lot of eating and drinking at the theater um but it's just like the you know it's almost like it's almost like the principle of the thing you know it's 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 more like um the
1: wait is it about the principle or is it about us worrying that we're gonna get this get COVID?
0: Well, that's. I, I think the two are are uh, intertwined. I think. I think it's like you. You know, it, it's the. Um even though maybe not every single theater is going to be able to enforce this to the degree that a lot of us hope that they would be. Uh, I think the idea of a company making a, a, you know, a corporate statement and just adopting a policy yeah. um, that has safe practices in mind, I think is the, is the move that people were hoping they would see from AMC. And it but, makes sense. But and that's, all
1: that, that's worked so well for theaters who have the policy of, you know, no f- phones and texting during a movie i know
0: that's what i'm saying like you know imagine how you know how bad it is when within in that regard when people are constantly you know being like behaving terribly inside theaters and they have rules that are you know quote-unquote rules that are supposed to be in place for that and so if amc just didn't even try with the rules imagine how bad it would be beyond that you know like at least put up the the effort of just saying um, you know, we're we're requiring masks, which I guess we can transition into because there was an immediate well, backlash. Well,
1: wait, wait a second. I just want to say what my point about Elmo Draft House because you could have uh, floated that out there. Oh, sorry. Yeah. My, 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 my whole point with the Elmo Draft House thing is every Elmo Draft House I've ever been in uh, everybody there is eating and drinking. Like the whole point of going to Alamo Draft House is you have a waiter that brings you uh, food right. and drinks and stuff like that to consume during the movie. And their policy is yes, they re- they're requiring everybody to wear masks, but not when they're eating and drinking, which is I'm guessing the majority of the theater during the majority of the movie. So if if you are worried about possibly catching this, I don't know if I would go to an Elmo Draft House. I I think I would actually fare better even without rules even without a policy at amc theaters i think i would fare better at amc because at least then not the entire auditorium is eating and drinking with their mask off do you know what i mean i don't know uh, i don't know maybe that's a bad way of looking at it but i'm just like trying to th- like look at it at a, at a logical way but okay so yeah so there was a lot of out outcry there was a lot of backlash and amc responded
0: yeah, they said, at AMC Theaters, we think it's absolutely crucial that we listen to our guests. So they talked about the, the outcry. Uh, they said it is clear from this response that we did not go far enough on the usage of masks. Accordingly, and with the full support of our scientific advisors, we are reversing course and are changing our guest mask policy. Uh, as we as we reopen theaters, we will now require that all AMC guests nationwide wear masks as they enter and enjoy movies at our theaters blah, 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 blah. So that, that's the, the <laughs> gist of it. It's like the speed with which AMC moved to revise our mask policies is a reflection of our commitment to the safety and health of our guests. That's the part yeah. that just makes me roll my eyes so hard. They almost fall out of my head. Like, come on, you can't, you can't pat yourself on the back for, uh, for taking a step that you should have All taken right. in the first place. But, um, I guess that's, uh, that's par for the course in terms of like corporate statements these days.
1: Yeah. So, Brad, does this change your mind at all now that AMC is, has a policy for masks? No, <laughs> Ben. How about you? You're. I mean, is <laughs> this going to convince you to go to theaters now that now the theaters are saying that you need to wear a mask when you're not eating and drinking?
0: No, um, I. I think at any theater, um, it's going to be very, very difficult for people to enforce this. Um, I think theaters, as you mentioned in your setup, Peter, like the movie theater industry is in such a tenuous position right now that I cannot imagine that, uh, you know, teenagers and people who, you know, employees who work at theaters and even managers and stuff like that are going to um, rock the boat by even if in in amc theaters now that this policy is in place um are, are going to rock the boat by if people just stroll in with no mask are, they're really going to kick them out are you serious like in this time when they when these theater chains need people's money more than ever i i just don't see that happening you know kids getting paid whatever 15 bucks an hour or something to fight with with uh, patrons yeah. who I, there's just no way that that any, I think Alamo is the only one that I can foresee actually enforcing this in any sort of significant way because the culture of that company is built on enforcing rules, and and that's why people go there for a lot of the time. So I, I can see them, you know, if if somebody reports that oh, this person in the theater is uh, maybe they wore a mask in, but they're, they're not wearing a mask during the movie and they're coughing or whatever. I, I can see them like maybe going in and actually kicking that person out. But in every other theater chain where, you know, they just haven't cared about like presentation or <laughs> stopping people from behaving badly in theaters for years up to this point. We've talked about it so much on this podcast before. I just don't think that this is going to be the moment that they draw the line in the sand and say, you know what, we're actually going to you know, take some action
2: here. Yeah, it's going yeah. to create more conflict, if anything, because... You know, not only you're gonna have the employees possibly to ask, telling people to wear masks, they're gonna be like, "I'm not wearing a mask. It's, a, it's it's my my freedom." But like, uh, and, and on top of that, you're gonna have people in theaters like, are, are, you're gonna see someone not wearing a mask. Like, you're gonna go tell the theater patron, "Are you gonna take it in your own hands?" Because like, I'm the kind of person where sometimes if there's a person who is on their phone and it, the screen is super bright, or if they won't shut up, that I will tell them. I'll be like, "Hey, turn your brightness down on your phone or put it away." Or, "Hey, please be quiet. I'm trying to watch a movie." And
1: you you know what the new thing is? What you you just like, like lean into them and start coughing, (laughs) making a (laughs) coughing. That's awful. (laughs) But but yeah, so (laughs) it was a joke. It was a joke.
2: It's just going to create a whole, a new, you know, culture of conflict. And like, we're already seeing these kinds of clashes. There was that that video that was going around yesterday about the someone who was like trying to go into a coffee shop that required masks and was, you know, quote unquote, protesting about it. And it's like, get the fuck out of here, man.
1: Yeah. At the beginning of this, I I mentioned how you know this is kind of a battle for the future of movie theaters, and the AMC was in trouble. Another interesting thing is part of the statement that went out to AMC uh, theater goers. The CEO Adam Aaron mentioned that he's pleased to report that AMC theaters is in an excellent financial position to welcome you back to our movie theaters. In the recent weeks, you may have seen or read the speculation that AMC's future in uh, this time of great uncertainty uh, where the facts are short and short supply speculation and guessing sometimes becomes the norm somehow that speculation can become controversial or yeah sometimes that speculation can become conventional wisdom and that can that conventional wisdom can in turn be reported as truth let me say to all you that so much of the speculation about AMC that was prevalent in the last several days was just plain wrong in april we successfully raised a half billion dollars of new investment capital for AMC. And fortunately that puts us in a position of considerable strength. So now that like AMC is in a position of considerable strength, according to them, which I'm not sure if that's true or not, like, do we really need to return to movie theaters in July? I mean, what do you guys think? Like, I I, I think I was more on the other page of things. I was more on like, Chris Nolan's thing, uh, like aside of like, we need to support the theaters because we don't want them going away. But like if AMC can survive this until the end of the year, why don't we just push the movies until next year?
0: Right. Yeah. That's a very, very good question. And um, I, I guess everybody's going to have to answer it in their own way.
1: <laughs> yeah. Okay. We have a couple more stories to get to today. Let's first start off with uh, attack. The block there there could possibly be a sequel in the works maybe possibly brad tell us about it
2: maybe sure yeah um so attack the block came out uh, back in 2011 uh, we're coming up on its 10th anniversary and director joe cornish hasn't really done a lot since directing that movie uh the only feature film he's directed was uh the kid who would be king um and that wasn't necessarily anything to go crazy about it wasn't a huge hit but apparently, uh, in recent months, he's been talking with John Boyega, who starred in Attack the Block uh, before he was uh, even cast in Star Wars The Force Awakens, uh, about possibly doing a sequel. And uh, there's no details on what it would entail or anything like that, but he just mentioned that it's something that he has discussed with uh, Boyega, and they've kicked around ideas um, you know, ever since they did the first movie. But they've just both been busy working on other things. Um, and he even says, you know, in a weird way that the longer that they have, uh, not touched attack the block, the more interesting it's become to go back and do a sequel. So it, it feels like maybe the moment has kind of passed, but attack the block has this interesting thing where it's not just a movie about, uh, a group of teen kids protecting their neighborhood from invading alien monsters. Um, it has this very clear, uh, social commentary and thread running to it about how, uh, society and law enforcement disregards certain people simply because of where they live and how it uses, uh, you know, class and the the system at large to keep those people down uh, from f- finding a way out of what people would, you know, consider the slums or the ends as it's referred to in Attack the Block. And I think that with all of the social issues that have continued to rise in the years since Attack the Block was released and how things obviously haven't, really gotten any better uh, at least not until you know protests started recently to start calling more action that i think that there's a, you know a sequel that could easily continue that social commentary and that that approach to those kinds of themes
1: wait so what is the sequel like the aliens come back and they're they want revenge so they go to the same south london block to attack these kids
2: i mean no because because that's <laughs> that, that's just silly I don't know
1: I, I, I'm not sure how you can do a sequel to this movie I, I love attack the block but I don't think I don't think I, I think you could do like another like a like like a new group of people or maybe, like they come back, maybe like,
2: you do a body snatchers kind of sequel where the cops are taken over by aliens and I mean it's a little on the nose but you know it's it could work
1: Ben would you like to see attack the box sequel
0: Uh, If Joe Cornish is writing and directing it, then yes, I trust that he has, uh, you know, he's more skilled at coming up with ideas than we are. So uh, I I will trust uh, and definitely watch whatever Joe Cornish has uh, coming up.
1: And speaking of Attack the Block, Attack the Block was produced by Joe's friend, Edgar Wright. Edgar Wright has set up a new movie for him to direct. Ben, tell us about it.
0: Yeah, Edgar Wright is going to be directing a film adaptation of a best-selling book called The Chain, which was written by Adrian McKinty, and uh, it sounds really, really fascinating. So I've I've not read this book. I think uh, Chris and Jacob have both read it and both really enjoyed it. Um, I'll give you a brief uh, summary of the plot here. The Chain tells the story of Rachel, who learns that her 11-year-old daughter has been kidnapped. The only way to get her back is to kidnap another child. Her daughter will be released only when that next victim's parents kidnap another child if rachel doesn't kidnap another child or if that parents uh if that child's parents don't kidnap a child her daughter will be murdered so it's basically like um these you know mysterious forces are uh are pulling the strings and and forcing you know uh good citizens to commit these terrible crimes and kidnap kids and and uh it seems like a pretty harrowing story so this is much much darker than or it sounds much darker than anything that Edgar Wright has directed yet um i think most or not most interestingly but uh, another interesting aspect is that jane goldman who has written movies like kick-ass and X-Men first class and Kingsman, the secret service is going to be writing the screenplay. So this is going to be the first time that Edgar Wright is going to be directing a movie that he isn't writing or co-writing. Oh, wow. Um, I guess there's a chance that he ends up taking a pass at the script or something later on in the process. But as of right now, he is not attached to write it at all. He's just attached to direct it. So I thought that was an interesting thing. It's also maybe worth noting that um, uh, his new movie last night in Soho, which I think got bumped to 2021 recently Uh, marked the first time that Edgar Wright collaborated with a female screenwriter. He co-wrote that script with uh, Christy Wilson Cairns from 1917. And this movie is going to be the first time that he's yeah, like I mentioned, sort of like seeding the writing entirely, uh, to another screenwriter and it happens to be a woman. So, um, it's kind of a cool thing. Jane Goldman has been, you know, a big name in the, in genre filmmaking for a long time. So I'm excited to see the two of them, uh, collaborate on this and the premise sounds really interesting. And I, I like the idea of Edgar Wright, you know, taking on darker, more serious material. So, um, it definitely doesn't sound like it, it's tinged with the comedy that uh, we're normally used to seeing from him. So, um, yeah he, if he wants to push himself i I'll follow along
1: yeah and uh, Jacob in our slack channel was saying that it's really not a comedy at all, so that's that really is intriguing because i'm you know i love I love Edgar and i I love his style and I would love to see what he could do outside of the realm of you know traditional comedy, not that mm-hmm. I want to see him leave that world, but i it'd just be interesting yeah so um okay, our last story for today uh, let's talk about Disney's new animated movie. Brad, what do we know?
2: Yes, Walt well, Disney Animation uh, is hard at work on their next movie. Um, there's a movie that's on the way that we were originally supposed to see this fall, uh, Raya and the Last Dragon, uh, but that got pushed back to spring next year since they decided to bump Soul uh, into that November release date. So uh, we're waiting to see more on that, but Disney's already working on what will be their next uh, Animation Studios project, and it will be uh, another um disney princess story this time focusing on the first uh latina disney princess that they've done uh, in the big screen format the movie is uh apparently called at least for the time being uh, encanto which is uh spanish for uh charm but it's also spanish for uh, enchantment or spell, and that likely makes more sense because the premise of the movie uh, is said to follow a young girl and her family in Brazil, where everybody in the family has some kind of magical power. But unfortunately, the young girl at the center of the story does not have any magical abilities. Uh, so it's likely an obstacle for for her to overcome and figure out. Uh, you know, I'm sure she'll uh, feel much longing and like she doesn't, you know, belong. And there'll be a lesson for her to learn and. Uh, You know, all those Disney staples uh, that we see, you know, throughout um, movies. And uh, this seems to be the movie that Lin-Manuel Miranda was said to be involved with back in 2016. He was working on some kind of secret movie with Byron Howard, uh, who is one of the co-directors of Zootopia, uh, who's working on this um, with uh, fellow director Jared Bush. And Lin-Manuel Miranda will be working on the music for this movie. Uh, just like he did for Moana, which was a a big boost to that movie's soundtrack for sure.
1: Okay, let's talk about the cultural background of this movie. I mean, you mentioned Moana. Moana was, you know, about the Polynesian, like ancient Polynesia, but uh, it was directed by two old white guys, and Coco from Pixar was directed by Lee Unkrich. It did have a co-director, but uh, this is another, you know, what, two white guys? Like, this it's disney like i love howard and bush like I, they have a great track record they they uh have shown that they can create uh deep stories and they they have um i don't they, they are very careful and very uh and i'm sure disney will have like like they did with Moana have like a whole crew to advise them on this. But like, is there any worry here that like we we again have, uh, you know, two white guys working in this kind of world?
2: Yeah. I'm not sure I would say worry, maybe a little disappointment, you know, that they're not giving it this opportunity to, you know, uh, a filmmaker of of color, especially maybe from uh, some kind of Latin background to take a chance at this. However, um, what I guess what does help in this situation is that the, the movie is being co-written by uh, Sharice Castro Smith, um, who was raised by uh, a Cuban American family uh, in Florida, so there will be at least you know somebody with uh, a a Latin background working on this movie in a in a prominent role. <laughs> um, but but, yeah. but again, you know that's it, it still doesn't you know preclude the the fact that you know there need to be more filmmakers of color working on movies about you know people of color. And that's not to say that you can't have you know somebody who isn't of the same you know ethnic background of the main characters in the movie, but it's just. You know, it would be nice to have those people telling stories, you know, of the people that they identify with.
1: Yeah. I mean I, I would even say honestly, and this comes from a white guy, but uh so everything I'm about to say does not matter in this situation. Uh but I do think what Disney is doing by creating like showing these diverse worlds and with diverse uh cultures and stuff in their in their movies is doing a, a great service and and uh you know kind of trying to diversify our storytelling across the board yet yeah, but i do wish there could be <laughs> some people involved that are not the same same white guys that does it for today slash home daily you can find more of all of our work at slash home.com you can find this podcast in itunes google overcast spotify all the popular podcast apps please feel free to send your feedback questions comments concerns to peter at slash Home.com and rate and read this podcast on itunes tell your friends spread the word and we will see you on monday